welcome to the Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay, and we are so happy that you're here joining us today. Valentine's Day has come and gone, yet the spouses and significant others remain. Grand gestures of romance can be fun and a sweet surprise, but what about the moments in between? The love of the everyday, day-to-day, amidst the laundry and the kids and the groceries, The love that can fly higher than the clouds on some days and make us fight tooth and nail for it on others. Today, we're taking a deeper look at this kind of love and how, when done sincerely and intentionally, truly has the power to change us and the world. But first, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week, and you've taken on the topic of honorifics, right, Lindsay? Or should I say, Mrs. Murray? Yes, or you could call me (laughs) ma'am. Oh, yes, (laughs) ma'am. So I was digging deep into the idea of children calling adults Mr. and Mrs. or Miss and and or Sir and Ma'am. This was a question given to us by one of our listeners um, during the live Facebook I did this week. And so I'm looking into it, you know, to answer this request. And I kept seeing the word honorific or honorifics, and I had never heard that word before. So it means a title or word implying or expressing high status, politeness, or respect. So such as sir, ma'am, honorable, reverend, Mr., Miss, Mrs., or Ms. Now, we did a little poll this morning on our Facebook group, and we asked how many people are trying to teach their kids to use Mr., Mrs., Ms., and and that included like if you're trying but it doesn't always work, or if you don't have children but you believe it's important to teach that because Facebook is really limited in your options and I only had two. So that was the yes side, and the no side was just people um, who don't teach their kids that or don't think it's important to teach anymore. Perhaps it's out of date. I was shocked, and and maybe this says something about our demographics, and I wouldn't be surprised by that, but 80% of the people who responded did say that they are trying to teach their kids to use those um, honorifics. And yeah, and that um, some of them, though, leave it up to the person to correct them if they want to be, you know, give their first name or some use Mr. and Mrs. and then their first name, not their last name. Uh, But when I looked into it a little bit further, and this is why I don't quite have a full etiquette tip on this. So it really does seem like a regional thing. There is no cut and dry rule anymore as of 2019, uh, especially with like things like sir and madam or sir and ma'am. That truly is a Southern American thing. It is not even done throughout the rest of the states. So I think that it really is individual to the family. But the 80% really does show me that there is still a strong desire within obviously the majority of people to still at least attempt to use these types of honorifics, uh, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't always work. And so we're still holding on to that for some reason. Um, So yeah, I I wish I had a more concrete idea of a tip on if we should be doing that. But it seems like most people do aspire to teach their children that whether or not they, you know, it ends up working every time they meet new people. Yeah, you know what I do? I am one of those 80% that tries to teach my kids to do something. um, Because I feel strange having I I did as a child and I feel strange for my children to chat with other adults as if they are peers right I think that's where it comes down to that I would like for them 
to learn how to acknowledge the authority or the status of different people. This is kind of relaxed. I have cousins that grew up in in Texas, mm-hmm. and they would say that they called everyone Mr. First Name or Miss First Name. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of like a an interesting balance to me of both. Yeah. Uh, I like that for people, one too. Yeah. Because it's a little less formal, yeah. um, but still acknowledges. Yeah, yeah. And you don't have to remember everybody's last names. And sometimes people mm-hmm. have last names that are quite hard to pronounce and easier to pronounce their first names for children. Right. And yeah, so I found I we were trying to do last names, but um, with our kids. But the more I think about it, I think it's just... I don't know, maybe less awkward to just do Mr. and Miss um, or Ms. or Mrs. first name. Um, I have one more thing I want to say too. Like you were talking about with respect and deference. Um, They were saying that a lot in the discussion with sir and ma'am. And one of the neatest things I found about that is that the people who are commenting who live in the Southern states were saying that Mm -hmm. the appearance of sir and ma'am to those people who don't use that regularly seems like it's a set out of respect. But they said like for your elders or people older than you, but what it actually is, is they're like, they use it for everybody and it actually is a line of equality. And so you use it in the South for any, the guy pumping your gas right to, you know, if the head of the military, right to your teacher, right to your grandparents, right to, you know, any, somebody that's begging your groceries. Thank you, sir. And I actually stepped back and thought, I really do like sir and ma'am and that it is not used just for people who have a station above you. It really is Mm -hmm. used in a way to speak to any stranger as just a polite, um, honorific. So today we're talking about true love, the kind that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And that's quite a tall order, isn't it, Lindsay? Yeah, it sure is. (laughs) Especially when a lot of our experiences, our ideas of love come from romantic movies. And, Mm. And so you and I were really looking at like what the world tells us that love is. And when we, when you and I, with the last episode for our Valentine's Day episode, we were coming up with our favorite romantic movies. And there mm-hmm. were some I loved, you know, in my teen years and some in my 20s. And when I was reflecting back on those for that segment, I was actually kind of struck by how terrible of a representation of true love those movies were. And I thought, I can't recommend those now because they're all about adultery or, um, you know, when you're rooting for the couple that are um, not married um, Mm -hmm. or they're just about other really um, disordered types of love. And, but it looks so romantic. And so the world really doesn't explain to us what deep, true, long lasting love is. Is that Mm -hmm. what you found too? Yes, yes. I remember reading some reviews on that movie Love Story. Is that? Yes. Um, where the, with the quote that says, love means never having to say you're sorry. Yep. And I watched it in my late teens, early 20s. Mm-hmm. And again, I thought their love story was so romantic. But as I'm going on further and further into my marriage, I'm like, oh my goodness, but how false, how misleading. So I feel like I apologize in my marriage, like, at least 50% of the time <laughs> I'm yes. apologizing, right? <laughs> yeah, as we should. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and uh, and I'm going to be really bold here. And this is something that I've talked about in, in real life with a lot of friends. And I'm sure you and I've even talked about this, but I actually think it's slightly dangerous for 
girls, and I'm speaking from my own personal experience, to shape our ideas of marriage and of love based on movies and books. And in some, I actually think it's as dangerous as pornography can be for men and how mm. that shapes their ideas of what sex looks like. This is the first time yes. we may have to put a warning on this podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, as we know, there are plenty of studies um, that say that sex or that pornography rewires a man's brain and how he views women and sex. And I venture to guess um, that the same thing is true with romantic movies with women and that it really shapes our idea of what marriage is supposed to look like. And we set these expectations so high that it all comes crashing down. Again, we were kind of talking about that with with the Valentine's Day episode. And Mm -hmm. so Yeah, there's this very, very huge population of people who are looking at it the wrong way and then are being very hurt, deeply hurt. Marriages are ripped apart by these misrepresented ideas of love and romance. Yeah, because you were saying last week, you know, uh, when the men in our lives aren't acting like they're reading from a script from mm-hmm. these movies. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, and, and they truly aren't uh, from the movies or the love songs that we mentioned or mm-hmm. the the novels that we read. That is not uh, typically how um, how humans in general, but also men, <laughs> right. uh, act in everyday life. And so if we're filling our heads like that, uh, in our marriage, we can be disappointed. And I would even venture to say taking it step a step back further when you're looking for a spouse, when you're in the dating frame of mind, it can sometimes feel like there's no one out there. Yeah. Right. I can't find someone, but um, not always is the case, but sometimes it can just kind of creep in uh, unless you're regularly taking stock or you're very uh, forefront examples of what real love, a real relationship in the everyday world looks like, uh, unless you have those right in front of you, it can be so easy to start looking for uh, tropes yeah. <laughs> of men yeah. instead of men themselves. I believe that that is a massive problem and I don't see that being talked about. But I, when I was thinking about like what the world says about love, mm-hmm. I kind of made a little list for myself and I was thinking that... and. Again, you and I have to, it seems like we have to be very clear that it's never black and white, <laughs> that right. I'm going to yeah. list these things and, you know, but this is a huge discussion that we cannot cover in 25 minutes, but um, we're just, we're, we're just having an starting this discussion here. So mm-hmm. to me, the world says about love that it is always romantic, right? That the passion doesn't mm-hmm. die out, that it is absolutely passionate, that it is always physical, that you're attracted to each other at all times. You can't keep your hands off each other, that it is youthful, right? Not old mm-hmm. people. You're young and good looking, that it's fleeting, that that guy that you love, if you don't <clears throat> grab him right then, that it's going to be gone and you'll have lost your chance and that it always feels good that you know if love doesn't feel good well then it's it's not true love i mean there are quotes that say that <clears throat> and that it is that it's dramatic and that it's movie like and that's what i thought love was like i'm being really honest here i really bought that idea of love when i first started dating Mm-hmm. And boy, oh boy, that led to so many problems. Um, we're also told that you can, quote, love without making a commitment to somebody and that you can love without regrets, right? Like we should have no regrets and right. that true love never hurts. If it's true, it shouldn't hurt you and that um, it should come easily and that 
you should have a soulmate and I could go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Um, What messages did you, do you feel that the world tells us about love? Yeah, I think the one that stood out the most to me when you were reading it off was that it always feels good Mm -hmm. because that's so true, right? Um, Every love story in pop culture celebrates at least one, if not many or several of those things that you've just listed. And I was most surprised by the one on your list, uh, but it is true that it is a youthful thing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Which I think... um, possibly at some point people start realizing that that's not always true. (laughs) Well, it's not usually true that love is just for the young. And we see that in how much we love to celebrate wedding anniversaries. Mm -hmm. And my favorite thing, our diocese has the anniversary mass, right? Every year. And I want to go every year, even if I don't know any couples (laughs) who fault because I think it is so awesome to see the couples who have been married for like 30, 40, 50, 60 years, like they've been married. And I think that is so amazing to even ponder and think about because I am so I'm not we're not even at 10 years yet. Yeah. Um, And then going along with that, too, we talked a little bit about the notebook. Yeah, yeah. Right? And how we actually find the story of them uh, when she's in the nursing home yeah more romantic than their love story when they were young (laughs) yeah I am not a fan of the notebook at all but yeah like you're saying and I think that when I was young when I was you know in my late teens early 20s um I did not see the beauty in those elderly relationships but like you're saying I do now and when those old couples stand up at church or something I am a mess like me too (laughs) and I want to shout out to everybody and be like this this is a way better love story than the notebook like the young part or like any of those cheesy love movies I'm like this this is like the truest romantic most beautiful thing and I look at them and they still see each other with their young eyes and it's just yeah but I wouldn't have seen that when I was 18 or 19 or 20 and that's only been kind of a blessing or a gift that I've seen love in a new way as I've grown older and Mm -hmm. have been married for as long as I have and you know um just to go along with that I was really fortunate growing up conversely I did have a great example of that not only in my parents, but my grandparents, I know I've talked about my grandma a little bit in the fall when she passed away, but Mm. my papa had Parkinson's disease. He got it when he was 40. He was very, very young. And my grandma kept him home and she was his primary caregiver until he died in his 80s. And, you know, the love and devotion that the two of them had for each other, this is truly, you know, through sickness, and in health, yeah. you know, um, yeah. to have and to hold in good times and in bad times. It was just something, it was never explicitly pointed out to me as a child, but it was part of our family culture. It was part of what informed me about love. And so I, I think often of that example too, when we talk about, you know, keeping separate these ideas of love in the world and in pop culture and what true love really needs to look like in our life. Absolutely. And I think you just made a great point. I think that those movies and the idea of love from the world always focuses on the beginning of love. Whereas I think Mm. what you and I are really um, celebrating is when you look at a lifetime of love and you see that sadly at the end, but what you see with those couples who make it to the very end is all of those moments that seem like they were earth shattering 
moments where their marriage was on the rocks or those that happens in every marriage. Mm. And, but by the time you're taking care of one another at the end and you're nursing each other, um, those were blips. Those were, and it doesn't feel like it at the time, but you know, you, if you can make it to the end and you've lived out those vows to me, there is truly nothing more romantic. And I do feel like, again, we're not saying here when we mentioned bad times, I wouldn't, we would never encourage somebody to stay in a marriage that is dangerous Mm -hmm. um, to them or to their children. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about, you know, your normal average marriage, average. And and actually one of the things about with average marriages is I was listening to my beloved Fulton Sheen. And oh, for the people who don't know Fulton our Sheen. Beloved. Our beloved. Oh, I'll share him <laughs> because I can boldly profess my holy crush on Fulton Sheen. Uh, <laughs> so talk about that. Um, he is. Uh, he was a Catholic priest who won Emmy Awards for his TV show that aired for a long time, starting in the 1950s. And for decades before that, he had a very popular radio show. And the man has written over 70 books. And one of his most popular books is Three to Get Married. Um, But what he talks about in one of my favorite episodes on his show, Life is Worth Living, which is on YouTube, he does an episode on marriage and incompatibility. And I love Mm. this one because he's just Mm. like, has there ever in the history of the world been a perfectly compatible couple? couple? Like certainly there are incompatibilities. And so he's talking about that this is all normal. Tensions are perfectly normal. These are part of human existence. And he says, a man meets the dimple of a woman, the cute dimple, but marries the woman behind the dimple. (laughs) And that real life comes out later, right? And Mm -hmm. so that's what you and I are talking about. We're talking about average couples and average couples. Well, sometimes we have to remember like with those wedding vows that sometimes the better comes after the worst and you have to stick it in there. And, and so Some of the things that I have learned over the years is that love is sacrifice, right? It's an action. Mm -hmm. It's a verb. And as you have said in another episode, St. Thomas Aquinas taught us that love is willing the good of the other, willing Mm -hmm. the good of the other. I mean, that's not in any of those movies that we've seen and and loved. Um, No. And so what... Do you want to elaborate that on that, what your feelings are about what real love is? Yes. Yeah. And I've been thinking about this um, whole idea of choosing to love, uh, even when it hurts, yeah. even when it hurts us. Why is that such a qualifier for yeah defining true love, for identifying true love. And I came across a quote by another saint. (laughs) We're just on saint overload today. Oh, yeah. Um, This this is Saint Gemma Galgani. Mm -hmm. And she said, quote, if you really want to love, and she's talking about Jesus here, but if you really want to love, first learn to suffer because suffering teaches you how to love, end quote. And I was thinking about that while I was listening to another podcast I recommended on my live video a few weeks ago on our Facebook group. Um, The podcast is The Next Right Thing by Emily P. Freeman. And she was talking this week about how the word decide comes from the same root as the word homicide. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. And that you have to kill other choices when you make one decision. (gasps) Right? I know. And so I was putting these two thoughts together and it occurred to me that, you know, we were all given this free will that it's actually quite astonishing that we have been given an ability to even choose at all to Mm. love and who we can love. Mm. And so that when we actually make that choice to choose someone else, that means something has to the other options die. And often in favor of someone else, that option is us. So it means we die a little bit to ourselves and our desires and our needs and to care enough for someone else, to have enough concern for someone else to be willing to do that. That to me is, is love. Absolutely. And um, Fulton Sheen also was talking about that idea of there being a death. And I'm just going to read a basic quote from him here about that. So he says that we reach that higher level in our lives personally and in our marriage life. And when we are married, you and I both believe that you are one person with your spouse, but you reach this higher level. And the only way to get there is through sacrifice. And each stage in marriage happens. So as you rise through each stage, when you hit a crisis or a challenge and this crisis or challenge at each stage presents us with a cross. And that means that our ego has to be crushed at some point in order to pick up that cross. And then he said, there has to be an unfolding of a mystery within marriage. And then there is something noble. And he said, like when a child is born, your egotism has to be crushed. You cannot Mm -hmm. be the same person and raise that child together. Mm -hmm. This new life, he says, demands a kind of surrender. And then is unveiled the mystery that was never before seen, which is the mystery of fatherhood and motherhood. And then as you have those babies, as I've said before, he mentions that a veil is lifted between husband and wife as you see each other in a new way. And then the next stage is that next crises, the next uh, levels that you hit come through the education of your children as you do that together. And he calls that mothercraft and fathercraft. And Mm. so every time we hit, these are a point of crises in marriage. It is hard every time you have a baby. Mm -hmm. We call it the tunnel of darkness. And then it's, that's hard, right? It's hard as you're hitting this new stage, you and Phil, right? With like actually forming them into actual humans. You're beyond just wiping diapers. You're forming humans here and raising Mm -hmm. adults. Well, that is a crisis. That is fights between husband and wife. That is sitting in your room and crying and thinking you're ruining these humans. Um, That is a whole whole other level to this. But in order for us to progress through these levels, there has to be a death to our ego and a death to self. And again, I was never taught that while watching Dirty Dancing or Grease or (laughs) the Mm. Bridges of Madison County or any of the romantic movies, Titanic, (laughs) although they did die. There was a lot of death in Titanic. He gave up. (laughs) Yes, he he did. He sacrificed. He (laughs) said, you're right. You're right. So one movie. Right. right yeah. <laughs> but it's so intense, right? Like this right. is intense. And no no wonder this isn't often portrayed in pop culture because it's so much more fun to just watch some kind of comedy of errors where one has to meet the other at the top of the Empire State Building or something like that to see if they're going to, you know, end up falling in love. But a lifelong commitment, I mean you're in it for life and and that you are totally united as one person in a partnership of equal dignity and that requires the continuous giving of oneself to the other and therefore willing the good of the other 
Right. And all of that, when it's done, um, not never absolutely perfectly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we are human. And yep. so we'll all mess up despite our best intentions and best efforts. But if the two people involved in a relationship are really, truly trying to strive for that, yep. that's where I think the exaltation that Fulton Sheen talks about comes in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When both people are trying to do that with each other, even if it's imperfectly, uh, what happens, I think, and I see that there is uh, a sense of being cared for and provided for. And that is the feeling of love. Yeah. Right. So the, the feeling of being cherished and protected and provided for doesn't come from the grand gestures. Like I said in the intro, I love grand gestures. I really do. I'll always be a sucker for them. But I don't think that is the spring from which feeling loved comes from. No. And I think that when we step back again at the end of our lives and our children, as we talked about last week, look through the remnants, the relics of our marriages and our relationships, I think what they're going to see that represent the true love the most are in the most simple items. Right. And do you know what? I would just like to say that for people who are still looking out there, you know, we Mm -hmm. talked about um, what not to get misled by, but you can still recognize, I believe, within most people, the capacity for this kind of love. Yes. Right. So even if, you know, it's very hard, you will grow into this kind of love for sure. It's a very rare person, I think, that's just born with this ability to love in this way. (laughs) Mm, And it really does come through those fires that you talked about. Um, But I think you can see the capacity for growth in this kind of love, even in the dating world. And I think that's an important thing to try to pin in a person. But if you're looking for someone to do life with, then that has to be high on your list to look for someone who has a potential to grow in this kind of self-sacrificing love. And you would be able to see that in how they uh, treat their family, how they treat other people, maybe at work. What is their work ethic like? Um, How do they treat you and your beliefs and your convictions and your desires and your dreams? You know, again, it doesn't have to be a total one-sided self-serving relationship, but they have to be um, open to becoming half of one whole with you. Absolutely. You're so right. And I think that this is why it's important. We have this discussion and we have this discussion all the time with our children and with our friends. And so I think that, you know, one of the first steps is is doing this podcast and having this episode and talking openly about marriage. And we hope to talk a lot more about this because, yeah, being raised in the secular world, it is not the message I heard. And again, I only picked up on bits of it because I witnessed a good marriage. And without that, I don't think I would have had any solid basis in what real marriage and relationship looks like and what to look like, look for in a partner. Okay, it's time for our What I'm Loving This Week segment of the show. So, Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? I'm still a little bit boring because I'm still not allowed to watch secular things or listen mm-hmm. to secular things. So, um, but there is, um, I, I am allowing myself to still study history and that sort of thing. So there is a podcast I've been loving called The Age of Victoria. Ooh. And it is 
as it sounds, <laughs> the Victorian <laughs> age. And it's a, a it's a man and he has a you know very calming British voice. And he does a lot of what's happening historically at that time, but he also starts to go through Victoria's life. And it's just really well done. He you can tell he puts a ton of time into research and it's just very pleasing to listen to. You learn a lot, entertaining. So the Age of Victoria podcast. Mm-hmm. That's great. And actually, to go along with that, I just put on hold at the library this morning, Lucy Worsley's new book uh-huh, on Queen yes. Victoria. And we're big Lucy Worsley fans too, right? Yes. But yes. Queen Victoria is fascinating. And I think our interest here in, in North America and on Queen Victoria is just scratching the surface of just how impactful she was. Yeah, it was huge culture. for good. Yeah, yeah, for good and for bad. It was a really life-changing period and empire that changed the entire history of the world. And she influenced so much. And her marriage, right? Just going back to marriage, mm-hmm. uh, really mm-hmm. did influence a lot. You know, m- many people don't know that her wearing a white wedding dress, although it had been done before in the past, it was she that popularized why we still wear white wedding dresses to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one more thing we love. Last night we watched with the kids The Song of Bernadette, uh, a film that came mm. out in 1943. Have you ever seen that? I have seen clips of it, but I've never sat down to watch the whole thing. It's for free on YouTube. It's public domain and it's great quality. So you can watch the whole thing. And of course we cried. It was so moving and it's about, <laughs> I cry a lot. Cry um, a lot of crying. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Um, And it's about St. Bernadette and her, you know, Our Lady of Lourdes appeared to her. She won the Oscar for Best Actress. This film was actually nominated for quite a few awards. And um, wow. a young Vincent Price, who was known later for his horror movies and yes. his very noticeable voice voices in it, which I was like, oh my goodness, that's Vincent Price. And it was just really, really, really good. It's a long movie. It's two hours and 37 minutes. We did, we actually watched it over two days, but really loved, loved the song of Bernadette. And so during the Exodus 90, we are watching um, some old black and white movies with the kids. Um, Every once in a while is a little bit of a treat. So we have another old one lined up for tonight that maybe I'll mention next week if it's good. So yeah, that's what I've been loving. What about you, Michelle? So I am going to recommend a foreign TV show. So you're going to need captions for this one. It's called, uh, forgive my Turkish, but um, (laughs) (laughs) forgive my Turkish. (laughs) It's, uh, I'm just saying fanatically, Kurt Seat V. Shura. (laughs) Okay, so um, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, so it's a Turkish television drama, and it takes place during World War One and through the 1920s. And it's the story of a Turkish army major falling in love with a girl from a noble family in Russia. So she's Russian and he's Turkish. And so it's a little bit Romeo and Juliet in the beginning. And I haven't finished the entire series. It's on Netflix if you're interested. But I love it for the beautiful sets and Mm. for the time in history, because we watch so much British history during that time period. Right. But this is the same time. But what was happening in another part of the world, which I thought was very fascinating. So you see through the Russian Revolution and everything, it goes into a bit of the conflict and how it affects these two star-crossed lovers and stuff like that. So if you're looking for some of that pop culture romance that we were... (laughs) 
<laughs> chatting about today, then I can recommend, uh, I'm not going to attempt the name again, but you can click through to our webpage and uh, find the link there. I'll link it in the in the notes, as I said. Speaking of the webpage, um, Michelle and I were talking earlier that we forget to mention that, that Michelle puts a lot of work in making sure that the links are put into that. And so on our Facebook page, um, which is the Modern Lady Podcast, you will find when she uploads every week the new episode, if you click on that, that is the webpage. And if you want to just look up the webpage, it's www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com. And there you will find the show notes and links to things that we talk about. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. And we just wanted to thank everyone for helping us reach a huge milestone this week. We've officially surpassed 5,000 downloads. And we're just so floored and so grateful for your support. Uh, And if you have a minute, please remember to rate our show on iTunes. And if you would be so kind, leave us a review on iTunes, because that is really what's helping other people find the podcast. And we would really love to keep welcoming new members into our community and meeting new women and new ladies and having these conversations and discussions. We are just having such a great time producing this show. And we wanted to thank you guys for journeying along with us in this. So Lindsay, how can people find us specifically on social media? Well, as I mentioned, the Facebook page, but again, it's the Modern Lady Podcast. It's the same name on Instagram, the Modern Lady Podcast. And you can find Michelle on Instagram at mmsachs, S-A-C-H-S. And I'm at Linny Autumn on Instagram. We'd love for you to follow us and reach out. Tell us you're a listener and we'll follow you back. And we just really want to get to know who is listening. And like Michelle said, it's been a while. We've been at 18 five stars on iTunes for a while. So what a great treat it would be for us to log in in the next couple of weeks and see 19 or 20 or 21 five star ratings. Yes. We are just so thankful for each and every one of you. And we're loving watching our community grow and the response you guys give us when we, you know, pose questions and the suggestions. You guys are wonderful. Thank you. Yes. Thanks so much, everyone. We hope you have a great week and we will see you back here next time. Thank you.